When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our central membership for the first year. And now to today's episode. Beyond political parties, please welcome Associate General Counsel for Copper.co, Kirill Khan. Public speaking professionals say that you win or lose the battle for audience in the first 30 seconds. Fortunately, I only have 30 seconds to introduce myself and more importantly, to immensely interesting guests. I'm Kirill Khan, AGC, Associate General Counsel for Copper Technologies, a London-based institutional infrastructure provider which focuses on timely topics such as counterparty risk mitigation and custodial technology. With us today, we have Andrew Yang and Maggie Lake. Ms. Lake is a senior editor and host at Real Vision, an on-demand content and education platform. Ms. Lake is a veteran journalist with over two decades of experience covering business, technology, politics, and international affairs. She started her career at Reuters, where she worked in both New York and London, covering economics and global finance. Mr. Yang is a businessman, philanthropist, 2020 Democratic presidential candidate, 2021 New York mayoral candidate, who also founded the successful nonprofit Ventures for America in 2011, which prompted the Obama administration to name him a presidential ambassador for global entrepreneurship in 2015. Most recently, Mr. Yang has co-founded the Forward Party with the goal of fighting for American people with practical common sense solutions. With that, over to our speakers. Thank you. Thanks, Great to be here. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Andrew, you can tell you're used to stages. Yeah, I, I have a mic on most days. <laughs> Just like in the house, I come home, I'm like, baby, what's for dinner? Amplified, I'm like, <laughs> Well, it's great to be here. It's great to be in the great state of Texas, I have to say. I think Andrew and I, yeah, that's right, you can hoot it out. Andrew and I both coming from uh, the New York area. Uh, and we're gonna talk beyond politics, but maybe we should start by saying, is there such a thing? Andrew? Yes, what percentage of things get politicized today in America? Either 100 or 99, <laughs> right? <laughs> Out there. And uh, you know, the, the, hope, the hope I've had is that blockchain and Web3 can be in that 1% that avoids getting politicized because you don't want to be uh, a political football in a two-sided equation, uh, especially because, at least for me, what animates me is that these tools and technologies can solve fundamental problems that we all should be uh, animated about, whether it's financial inclusion and uh, alleviating uh, scarcity and poverty or one passion of mine. Imagine being able to vote uh, on your phone in a way that's completely trustworthy and trusted. Uh, like, what would that mean 
for, for our country. By the way, if you have that sort of uh, tools, toolkit available, how would the two legacy political parties respond to that? Negatively, right? They'd be like, oh, no, can't do it, can't do it. And then they, they would cite security. And then if you produced a dozen experts in white papers saying, actually, it's secure, military veterans are doing it right now, like the technology's there, what would their response then be? Still don't like it. Uh, because the fact is, they don't have an interest in, uh, in activating uh, popular will or making it easier to vote. Uh, and, and it's one reason why I started the Forward Party, because we need common sense solutions that would actually help people, families, and communities that the political parties may or may not be fans of. So, and I'd put a lot of blockchain in that category. So let's back up a second. And why don't you explain to us? First of all, I want to ask you, post the midterm elections, are you feeling more or less optimistic that we can move beyond the sort of partisan polarization that we've seen? Oh, when you look, uh, when you look into the numbers, you, you find that independents swung the midterms by going to Democrats by two to four points nationwide. Not what anyone expected, including me. Um, most people thought that independents would break towards Republicans because that's what they typically do in a midterm election, particularly if you have elevated rates of inflation and concerns around public safety and, and some other issues. So I was surprised. A lot of people were surprised. Uh, you saw a lot of ticket splitting. You saw a lot of folks who decided that candidate quality mattered uh, in states like Georgia or Arizona, where like 180,000 Republicans in Arizona, for example, voted for a Republican on one part of the ticket and then a Democrat in the other. Um, so you're seeing more and more uh, of an independent spirit where they will make up their own mind uh, and not just vote along party lines. Which is, I think, a good thing, a good development. Well, uh, I'm going to try this out just for fun. How many of you would consider yourselves political independents? Uh, so it's most of the room, it's about 40 to 50% of Americans uh, overall. So uh, this energy is just rising. If you go to young people, literally two thirds of them uh, don't like either party and are looking for uh, a new path. So there, there's like an analog to what's happening in terms of these technologies and tools with what's happening in our political system. Our political system is now about 160 years old. It's creaking along. It's like, you know, like barely making it. Uh, the combined age of the presidential nominees in 2024 could be 159 uh, as one emblem of the kind of uh, aging system. Um, uh, and so the, the question is, what happens to that aging system? Does it evolve? Does it get updated? Does it get modernized? Which is what I'd like to see happen. Uh, does it actually start reflecting uh, real solutions that will improve people's lives? Uh, or do we just let it continue to descend in a road and eventually disintegrate? So what are you doing with the forward party? Bring us up to date on what that is. Yes. So, so the forward party is a positive unifying third party movement that's trying to move beyond the two legacy parties and provide a home for political independents that just want things to work better. Uh, solutions that are nonpartisan, uh, again, I'd put blockchain into this category uh, in terms of what it can do to, to move us forward. Um, I talked about mobile voting as an example, but I, I'd love to see new forms of governance uh, and more real-time feedback. If you look at, actually, this will be fun. Uh, what percentage of Americans approve of U.S. Congress right now as we're here together? I heard 11, I heard nominal. I'm anchoring you low so you know it's low. It's between 20 and 28%. Um, so three out of four Americans not too pumped. What percentage of 
uh, of incumbents get reelected every cycle? 94, 94%. It's a pretty big gulf, wouldn't you say? 25%, 94%? How many of you run a business? Imagine if three out of four of your customers weren't happy and you changed nothing. <laughs> like, uh, that, that's what's happening in the American political system right now because 90% of the districts are drawn to be uh, non-competitive. Uh, and so if you want to keep your job, your incentive structure is to placate or please the 12% of Americans or so who vote in your party primary. Uh, and that doesn't line up with where most Americans are. So the forward party's goal is to try and line up those incentives through things like nonpartisan primaries, uh, ranked choice voting, and other measures. So, how are you, so Andrew, I think there's been a desire to have a, some sort of center party, third party. We've seen third-party candidates before, and all we hear is that it's impossible. It's impossible to bake through the way the system is set up to get to, to have effect, basically. How are you going to get around that? How are you planning to? I think this will be very, very familiar to many of you. Uh, so there are two things that are keeping the current system in place, uh, a set of rules and some numbers, and, and both of them are subject to change. Uh, so many of you may not uh, have noticed, but Last week in Nevada, a ballot initiative passed to get rid of party primaries and shift it to anyone can vote for anyone uh, and ranked choice voting. Now, what do you think the political parties thought of this ballot initiative? They hated it. I was in Nevada campaigning for this thing, and like the people I was around were getting text messages from the Democratic Party saying, vote no on three, vote no on three. And their logic was, or their argument was, it's going to be too confusing. <laughs> and the people who get these text messages were like, what? Like, they tell me to vote, to vote no, no on three. But the, the voters of Nevada went against both parties uh, and, and approved this thing. Um, so you can actually make it so that new parties can compete and emerge if you activate the people of this country. Because again, 50% of us are independent, 62% say they want a third party. And then when you say, hey, let's make it happen, then they'll say, no, no, rules, rules. In an age where, by the way, institutional trust is declining, where you're seeing uh, new entrants in just about every category of American life, except for our politics, you know what I mean? Uh, and I, I referenced this potential rematch between Biden and Trump in 2024. What percentage of Americans do you think don't want either of those choices? By, by applause, really. I am the math guy. I hope you guys enjoy the, 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 the numbers. I mean, it wasn't just a campaign slogan. But 58% um, but of Americans don't want either of those choices. So uh, if we wind up going toward those choices, you're going to see tens of millions of average Americans just look up and say, who else? You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, this is the kind of environment where rapid change is possible. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So you mentioned blockchain fitting into that. Is that something that's feasible to roll out? What's the time reference on using that kind of technology to, to change the system? 
So uh, there are uh, novel applications of blockchain that I'm super excited about. Uh, one thing I'm super excited about is custodianship of our own data. Um, I don't know how you all feel about this, but our data is getting sold and resold. We're getting commoditized ourselves as human beings to the tune of $200 billion plus per year uh, flowing into the hands of certain companies and certain actors. Uh, and by the way, it's, it's bad for us. It's bad for our democracy. It's bad for our kids' mental health. Uh, blockchain uh, is something that can help with that. Uh, so these are the kinds of things that I think we should be working on. Uh, the primary use case of these tools so far in the minds of the American public is financial speculation. Yeah. Uh, and that has frankly uh, blown up in a very significant way over this last num number of days. Um, so in, in many ways, the challenge is to find use cases that people don't need to know anything about blockchain or Web3 to be able to say, okay, I like this because I'm signing up for this and my data is mine. I can port my profile between social media companies. I can vote in a way that everyone's excited about. Uh, if you can make it so that it's useful to someone who doesn't know anything about the technologies, that's when you really start making massive, massive leaps. Everyone today on the panel is talking about the difficulty surrounding FTX. Do you think that's going to make regulation in this area, the discussion in Washington more difficult? Oh, yeah. I mean, common sense. Uh, you know, like you, you, uh, you know that uh, there's a lot of schadenfreude going on. Uh, and uh, the turnover in Congress is going to make it um, like less likely that, frankly, like some people respond to headlines and just rush forward with certain regulation. I'm in a camp, and I've always been in the camp, that some intelligent regulation is a good thing. Um, I think it would help the industry mature um, and, and make it more mainstream. But unfortunately, we missed a beat, like a major beat. Uh, and then because of FTX and the problems and the headlines and the real people that got hurt, there's going to be an appetite for regulation that, in my mind, might not hit the mark. Like, uh, because you want to be able to balance the very real concerns with the need to keep America the home uh, of innovation uh, and development of these tools. Um, but this is categorically a very, very negative thing um, for human beings uh, and for the regulatory environment. So what, do, what kind of conversation has to happen in order to move things forward in a constructive way in Washington? You talk to lawmakers all the time. How are we going to break this cycle that we're in right now? What's standing in the way of constructive regulation? Well, so, I mean, I referenced it at the top, but everything gets politicized uh, now. Um, and you can see that happening with blockchain and these tools. So one of the things that we do uh, is we work with the Bipartisan Policy Center to liaise with members of Congress or their offices or their policy teams uh, and just educate them about what these tools are and what they can do and the problems they can solve and, and why their constituents actually uh, care and would value them. Uh, we work with the American Conference of Mayors uh, to have various mayors stand up and say, look, the blockchain is a good thing. Um, essentially, you take trusted actors that, that make it harder to politicize, really. And one of the traps I think that uh, you can fall into is like you show up directly in the, the congressional offices uh, and say, hey, I'm from company X, I'm from uh, industry X, and here's what we want. Um, that's going to work on some offices, but it's probably going to send the other offices like the other direction.
honestly. So you need to find trusted actors that are middle of the road uh, that, that people will listen to and say, okay, this is a balanced approach. That should be the goal, a balanced approach. What about use cases too? I mean, you know, you, you talked earlier some of the things you're interested in and um, we hear about what this technology can unlock. But again, most of what people know about this is much more related to the speculative side yep. of what's happened. How do you raise the profile of the other narratives? This always comes down to storytelling. How, how can a better story be told in Washington about the innovation that can be unleashed as opposed to the speculation? Because that's all they're hearing right now. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Uh, and that in many ways I think is a challenge in rooms like this is uh, what problem can we solve with the blockchain that will help change the narrative? Uh, you know, and, and there are people I know in this room who are working on that. Uh, and that's why I'm here, uh, is to help us solve some of these difficult problems around, for example, patient data in, uh, in the healthcare system. Like if you were using the blockchain to make it so that my medical data was going with me everywhere in a, play, in a way that I was like confident in and secure and it would like reduce costs, uh, you know, like who the heck could not be excited about that? And then you get a series of stories. By the way, I met with a company here in Texas that's working on that problem. Now, like, now, now does that story get amplified uh, the, the way that the other stories do? Of course not. Um, so you have to try and make as rapid progress as you can on use cases like that and then sing it from the rooftops, uh, which is another reason why I'm here, is that we have to try and amplify and augment uh, like the, the positive examples of innovation. Some of this is coming up against, I mean, it's disrupting, right? So you have um, entrenched interests who don't want to <laughs> see um, these stories, don't want to see a lot of what's coming. How do you deal with that? I yeah. mean, Washington is full of entrenched interests. You know, how do, how do we grapple with that? Yeah, and, and how would you all characterize the, the media portrayal of this space generally? Negative, Negative right? You know, and, and, and again, I'm someone who thinks that there have been massive problems, particularly in recent days, and uh, a balanced approach to regulation is entirely appropriate. Um, but you can also say objectively that the media has accentuated various uh, negative uh, stories, like much more than, than, than anything positive. Um, so I think that this is something that requires. Well, let's let's categorize ahead. media, since I work for a media company that is. Well, you're awesome, obviously. Macro you're, you're and, and that's like crypto. real vision. But um, but you, you traditional media, traditional yeah, yeah, yeah. media. When I say media, by... I meant traditional media. Yeah, yeah com completely. Uh, uh, and we're we're in an age where media has also become politicized. Uh, you know what team every media organization is on, unfortunately. So, so some numbers for fun. 69% uh, of Democrats have a high trust in media. Um, if you go to Republicans, that number goes down to 15%. Uh, independence is somewhere in between at 39%. Um, so when you talk about the media in many ways, the traditional media does augment a certain narrative. And in this case, that narrative has tended very negatively towards uh, blockchain and Web3. So what are the, the areas of media that have been more balanced? Obviously, there's the industry sources, which probably skew positive. Uh, and, and so the question is, is there some kind of uh, like trusted actor who can call it down the middle? Uh, and I, I think that's where independent media is so important, uh, yeah. organizations like yours, Maggie, because uh, you know, like, un unfortunately, we're in a time when media really has become very partisan. We've had a lot of discussion about regulation uh, and if we can get constructive regulation. 
and the fact that states like Texas are pushing forward and will be pushing forward and might be moving quickly, can states move forward without some kind of federal framework? Uh, I mean, well, does Washington matter? So, so I love it when uh, um, cities and states in particular adopt various regulatory frameworks. In many ways, that can be a spur uh, and uh, lead the federal government to adopt. As we see with some, California, some, many, many over the years, not in this instance, but environmental and a lot of other fronts. So though even California adopted a Consumer Privacy Act um, in 2020, that is, that, that, okay, here it is. So that, that framework actually is much tougher on the tech companies and the use of customer data than any other state. So what's happened is now the uh, energy around federal regulation is shot up because the federal regulation would supersede the California regs and would make it less onerous to the tech company. So the tech companies went from being like no regs and then California passes it. And then they, they say, okay, we'll accept some regs, just make it like, you know, nicer than California's. So, <laughs> so um, there'll be a different dynamic in this space. I think states trying to take the lead is very positive. It does create energy and momentum at the federal level and it does tend to anchor their, their approach in a certain way. Um, but, uh, and, and so, and I talk to lawmakers, as you said all the time, Maggie, like it's unclear, um, what regulations do end up emerging over this next Congress. It's un, in part because, you know, the Congress is just changing hands. Yeah. And so, uh, there were more than half a dozen different, different bills <laughs> in, uh, in the Senate. Uh, and so no one's sure, uh, what's going to end up winning the day. Um, but eventually you'd imagine there will be a federal approach. It's likely to supersede state regs. Uh, this does not mean that states should not try and take the lead because it can end up uh, pushing things in a, in a positive direction. Even though we're gonna, we're going to have new, some new members coming in and we've seen movement, what do, what do legislators need or what are they looking for when it comes to understanding this? I, we heard people say education, education. I feel like that's, that's already been done though. What is it that they need to wrap their head around when it comes to blockchain to be able to say, okay, I support this? Uh, I'd suggest that the education is at best midstream <laughs> from the conversations I've had. Um, and in, a, in many of these congressional offices, it's not the member themselves who's deciding to try and go deep into this. Like they, they send this their younger important. staffer, yeah. they send their policy person, and then they ask that policy person, okay, like, what do we think? Uh, where are we? Um, and the, the policy person, um, frankly, like tends to be younger and like a little savvier and like they're the ones who we're spending time with. Um, so that process is very much ongoing. Um, uh, and, uh, they're, they are unfortunately responding to headlines, which right now are heading in like a very specific direction. It's one reason we're trying to balance that with the help of mayors and others so that they hear also from constituents in their districts who say, hey, look, like, you know, like I'm, I, I work in this space, I work in this industry, like, uh, you know, like this is why it's positive. What, what can everyone in the room do um, as we're thinking about moving beyond politics, both on the political front, I guess, and also when it comes to, uh, this industry and making sure that the the narratives are heard that mattered and that are going to tip the scale in the in the right direction. Yeah, I, I think that we've missed some opportunities, honestly. Um, so the the first big thing I would say is like we we should accept that we're in an environment where there's going to be some form of regulation uh, coming down the pike, uh, and, and the goal should just be to try and make it intelligent and sophisticated and nuanced and. Uh, 
like uh, you know, done in a way that that's rational and reasonable. Um, now, now you can have your own perceptions as to what the likelihood of rational, reasonable policy is out of out of DC. Um, <laughs> the, the question is, what can we do to try and increase those odds in this time? Uh, so it, it is. Uh, there is uh, still. I know this is a dirty, but there, there is still some traditional lobbying to be done. Um, uh, you know, now FTX was the heavyweight in that space, and they've been. Uh, completely discredited, frankly, uh, but uh, but there there are still trusted actors that are talking um, to regulators and legislators. Uh, anything we can do to augment positive narratives to balance it uh, would be great. Um, ideally, and I, I'm not sure we're at the cusp of this, but ideally we are at a point where enterprises are actually touching consumers uh, in, in a way that um, can counter the narrative. Um, but given the time frame, like I, I would push, push, push in that direction. I'm not sure if we can get there uh, in the, the weeks and months we have. That's, that's, a, that's a really good point because I think that lack of real world experience um, and being able to have something tangible, um, at least for people who are not in this space and for yeah. Washington has been yeah. um, a point of uh, friction. Um, yeah. It's made it harder. Uh, what do we do about the vacuum that's been left? You, you mentioned FTX was a major uh, player in that space. That's true. Now there is a vacuum. How much, what, what, what do you think about time? How much, how, you know, how critical is timing on this and what fills that vacuum? How do we need to think about that? Yeah. Uh, I think next year is going to be a big year, uh, in terms of trying to sort out what the regulatory approach is going to be. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to do something. Um, uh, uh, and certainly on the democratic side of the aisle, there's going to be a real desire uh, to, to put some points on the board. Um, FTX, frankly, like the primary use case was financial speculation. Uh, and, and so <laughs> your, your goal has to be to try and create something, uh, that, uh, either is very, very, uh, buttoned up. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, and you can do something around financial speculation as long as like, you know, it has the proper safeguards and measures. I mean, like, you know, that, that would be, uh, uh, positive. Um, and then if you do something that uh, does fix a problem around consumer data, medical information, uh, governance, real-time feedback, financial inclusion would be my, you know, like hope is that if you can show it's like, look, here are real life people who've had jobs and opportunities and uh, new businesses and new customers that are enabled by this, many of whom I think are in this room, um, you know, I ideally they're situated in an environment or from a, a group or a community or a district that is politically important. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because again, I mean, it's real. It's like, you know, it's politics. Uh, th those are the things that I, I think could make a difference. And let's finish up on forward parties. So this is going to be a, a really hectic couple of years as we head into the next presidential election. Are you going to be backing candidates? Are you fronting your own candidates for Office, how is this going to work? So uh, in this midterm, we endorsed uh, about 27 candidates of every party, including independents, independents like Evan McMullen, who ran for uh, U.S. Senate in Utah. Um, in 24, we're looking to be useful. Um, so we're generally like an anti-extremism, um, rational uh, solutions-oriented movement. Um, but we're in a very, very bifurcated, polarized country. Uh, and so... There are going to be six states that decide the 2024 um, presidential election. What are they? Go ahead and shout a couple out. Unfortunately, Texas isn't on the list. I'm sorry, Texas. 
It's Wisconsin. It's not Ohio anymore. Ohio went red. It's Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Those six states. Four of them were decided by one percent in 2020. Wow. Um, all of them were decided by like two and a half percent or less. The margin in the last election was, I mean, less than a hundred thousand votes. Uh, honestly, so uh, one of the goals of the Ford Party is to build a coalition in those six swing states to be able to direct policy in a particular direction. All you need to do is aggregate 300,000 voters in six states and say, hey, we're genuine swing, st swing voters, we're genuine independents, and we will head your direction if you do a few things that actually solve the country's problems. I is this not fun? Like this is like a very high leverage move where you have these like two sides clashing and then you just aggregate 300,000 voters in the middle uh, and then you can say, we want intelligent solutions uh, from, from our leaders, including a more representative system that helps weaken this, this polarization and this two-party control that's tearing our country apart. I mean, at this point, almost half of Democrats regard Republicans as corrupt and a threat to the country. Shocker, the same percentage of Republicans feel that way about Democrats. Uh, it's getting worse, not better. Um, how the heck do we turn that around? We turn that around by gathering a coalition of independents and Democrats and Republicans who actually want our system to work for us, the people of this country. I love it. That's right. That deserves some applause. Thank you, Texas. I wish you were a swing state, but I, I love you and I'll be here all the time. <laughs> Angie, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone.